had a very moving statement about your grandparents coming here uh, from Belarus to live in the country without fear of prosecution. I grew up in very similar country, Ukraine now, and when I came here as a young person, I believed in the value as an American not to be afraid of my government. But I wanted to tell you, and I want to share with you and get your thoughts on that. Are you aware that a lot of Americans are now uh, afraid of being prosecuted by your department? Are you aware about that? Are you aware of that? I'm just saying, are you aware or not? Uh, I think that uh, constant attacks on the department and saying no, it's that not attacks. Well, let me let me give you an example. I don't know. We talk what... about January 6. People. I'm sorry? Here, there, there are some people came on January 6. There are probably were some people that came on January 6 here, you know, that had bad intent. But a lot of good Americans from my district came here because they are sick and tired of this government not serving them. They came with strollers and the kids, and there was chaotic situation because the proper security wasn't provided. That's a question that was answered really why. Why we debated for 45 minutes on the floor and didn't stop the debate after the people broke in into the Capitol. But these people came, they were throwing the smoke bombs into the crowd with strollers with kids. People were showed up, you know, FBI agent to people's houses. You had in my district, in my town, FBI phone numbers all over the district. Please call. Call that. People are truly afraid. I should- that was Representative Victoria Sparts speaking with Attorney General Merrick Garland as part of the conversation yesterday in front of the House Judiciary Committee. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today, Congresswoman Victoria Sparks joined us right now from the 5th District of Indiana. Full disclosure, my member of Congress, Victoria Sparks. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever asked uh, the Attorney General whether or not he understands that people are afraid. But I always thought of it as more of a conversation of lack of trust. Did he give you an answer that in any way made you think he understands the gravity of the situation in America right now? Unfortunately, I don't think these people understand or care. And unfortunately, you know, Washington, D.C. became so disengaged and so unrealistic from the reality on the world and cares so little about the people that it's sad for me what's happening. But I'll tell you, Tony, what was really happening, and I'm just sitting on this committee, and I'm so sick and tired that they constantly, constantly tell everyone is insurrectionist. What does it do? It means that if you're going to show up here in Washington, D.C. and dislike what government is doing, especially if you're conservative, you're going to be insurrectionist. People are afraid. I'm, I'm not joking. I know a lot of people in my district. Their houses was raided. You know, they've been, you know, phones were given, you know, to Bank of America. You know, they truly believe that they showed up. I mean, it's not like not funny when show up, just show up, FBI shows up to your houses. You know, people are concerned. Some people just because they came here 
to be uh, to show their dissatisfaction. We have a right to peacefully express our dissatisfaction with our government. If we don't have that right, we're dictatorship. And dictatorship of opinion is the same totalitarian regime and communists. That's what is done. And we cannot let it happen. And I'm just so sick and tired of them constantly in committees saying that there is a difference between some people doing some harm and there's a difference when people come. People come to my town halls unhappy and I have, you know, to listen to them because I represent them. And they have the right to tell that they disagree with me. And otherwise we'll be dictators here. It's dangerous. In the in the entirety of of the talk uh, of that uh, and the conversations that Merrick Garland, w- where he was answering questions, a lot of it had to do with Hunter Biden and the decisions of David Weiss, now special counsel, to not prosecute at the time. He couldn't prosecute at the time. Uh, you you was there interference from the DOJ? And one of the answers that. Merrick Garland gave to one of of, uh, your colleagues in the House uh, of Representatives, uh, that would be Mike Johnson, a congressman from Louisiana, was uh, that I'm not going to answer the question of whether or not internally I've ever spoken to David Weiss about anything. I told the Senate I wouldn't interfere, but I'm not going to tell you if I ever had a conversation. Did that answer satisfy anybody? And if not... How do you actually get an answer out of this man that would satisfy? Well, I'll tell you, I hate to tell you, Tony, and I think we had conversations before. Only matter one thing in Washington, D.C. is money. The only power Congress has is its power of the purse. And if Attorney General would know, and if we actually would do our job and actually authorize Department of Justice has been not authorized for decades now, and all of the different programs they're doing and not doing, they would be responding in our letters. You know, he would be, have to come and ask for money. You know, he would have to say the answers. But if he knows that we're going to have this top line number is going to give to him and he's going to do whatever he wants. And only, only directions are written by some staff member and committee reports that no one even knows what is in it. And you cannot even make a change in it because when you know, the staff wrote whatever, some of the staff is like crazy. He will, you know, he doesn't care. That's the only way how you can make this agency care if you yank their money. Congress has abandoned doing its job now for years and asking, where did you spend all this money? Which companies are they going to? Who is benefit? Are this benefit American or very that, few close to government? So that's a conversation about defunding. And it was Gerald Nadler, uh, ranking member, Democrat, who is very clear. What would defunding the FBI do to America? And, of course, Merrick Garland think, gave the... The hellscape answer. Are you arguing for defund? Are you arguing for keeping money from the FBI? No, I'm saying we have to properly fund proper programs and initiatives. We're probably not not doing enough on human trafficking, drug trafficking, and cartels. But the only way we can do it, you know, I just want to, you know, a lot of people don't understand the process how Congress is supposed to work that haven't been done now for decades. You should have committee of jurisdiction, you know, like judiciary in this case, that has jurisdiction over DOJ and FBI. Committee of jurisdiction should have a hearings. 
you know, where these people are going to come and explain. We need this money for this. We have this program, what we're doing, not doing this and this. And Congress will decide, you know, which programs we fund, put the top maximum authorization, put what accountability we want from them. We can attach strings, which we should be, on them to be accountable to us. That's our job, because that's the only way how they can be accountable to the American people. And then appropriator will appropriate up to the amount we authorize. What right now is happening, why I fought so much and was so mad that Kevin didn't do this process. What's happening right now, they're going to have a top-line number. You know, they're just going to give in bulk, you know, and they can spend and do whatever they want. If they don't want to enforce the border and not give in to border patrol, they can, right? If they want, I mean, in case of Homeland Security. But I'm just saying we're not doing it with a lot of legislation, with a lot of this bill. You know, an appropriator will give a top-line number that will fight a lot, but devil is in the details, Right. And details that are written are going to be written by committee staff, this heavy report that no one even knows when it is and never reads it. You cannot even change. Like, I can at least now be forced McCarthy to allow to make some changes in the rules committee so rank and file members have, have ability to make a difference at least somewhat and we put some members like Thomas Massey and Chip Roy on that committee that actually will fight the real fight so we can at least do some rules but I cannot change committee report in rules all I can do is just say you cannot fund this you know, or change the funding. I cannot say you have to also do oversight report, and that's not, it's not going to be germane. That has to happen authorization committee. That's why I said we're wasting our time because this agency would be working for the American people if we would have done our processes properly. Talking to Victoria Sparts, Congresswoman from the Indiana 5th District. You bring up Kevin, which is Speaker McCarthy. Uh, that was one heck of a back and forth. You were on this show just the other day talking about your opposition to the continuing resolution. And our problem is, is that we knew when September 30th was on the calendar. We're now putting our backs against the wall. This is not a way to do it. Uh, Kevin McCarthy in response, uh, and, and I'm not, you know, uh, uh, parsing any words here, called you a quitter. Well, I'm not quitting, but but Victoria is is quitting, as you have already stated. You're not going to run for re-election. Congressman Matt Gates is coming uh, to your defense and standing shoulder to shoulder with you. You've spoken about what Kevin McCarthy said. Where are you right now with the speaker and with the continuing resolution? Well, you know what. <laughs> We made a progress. He will have to make some now, you know, uh, I don't think it was very wise of him to, to say stuff like that. He knows better than that. I don't think it helps. But, you know, people just do things. You know, it's okay. I, ha I don't get offended easily, you know, even though I appreciate that, you know, uh, you know, Congressman Gates actually defended me. It's nice that we at least have some people willing to stand up if you're a conservative woman. Unfortunately, liberal media is not going to be defending you for sure. Uh, you know, if that would be, a, you know, a liberal woman would be very different. But it's, it's, it's beyond the point what the thing, what it is, and what was my battle, and Kevin agreed to do that, that I said at least if we fail this year, you know, let's at least push something for next year, that next debt ceiling increase, we will force the Senate to deal with some corruption, to save some of the programs like Medicare for seniors. We owe it to seniors to look at some other ways where there is a fraud and abuse, to have this commission and force the Senate to do some serious moves. It's corrupt as hell over there. 
you know, so he is at least willing, you know, to do that and then do something on the border security to force them to do everything that was part of last that ceiling discussion. Nothing happened. You know, so we have to secure the border and save this country. So I said, if we put the border there and at least commission on next year, I'll be willing to support, even though you fail, but I'll be willing to give you some time to do it. But I'll tell you, if that resolution comes, like all this business as usual, that CR comes clean back from the Senate, I will personally join or move the motion to vacate our speaker, not just Matt, because I'm sick and tired. The Hold on has- a second. Take, take a moment. Let's yes. make sure I understood you. If the Senate comes back with what, you'll move to vacate the speaker? If, if, if the CR that comes back doesn't have commission on the border security, I am done. I, you know, Kevin has to win some battles for the American people. If we are going to be a governor here, we have to deliver. Messaging bills do not matter. It doesn't matter. We can talk a lot of these great things. It has to go through the floor. It will go nowhere. What things matter that will be put in the law? And what it matter what we are going to fight as Republicans to deliver? And listen, there are some, we can wait for the alignment of the stars, but there are some issues that are serial national security issue. And our debt and border are serious to very serious national security issue. So I want to make sure we're not just going to pass like we did last time at all conservatives. He's going to pass all these great things. We'll come back with nothing pretty much on back, you know, like back. And that's what happened last time. We were talking about, you know, we just reached 33 trillion, right? And we're talking saving a billion. Let's just not even waste time and harass people and actually do more damage to economy just having all of this uncertainty and, you know, drama. You know, if we're going to have something meaningful, let's do meaningful. And I think it's meaningful for the American people to deliver it shouldn't be a partisan issue. And then Senate will have to explain to the American people why they don't care about border security, why they don't care about that. And that will be up to the American people to decide what to do with them. Will I see from you, and I, and, and I almost used the word venom, it's, it's the wrong word, and I apologize for that. Will I see from you the passion regarding putting Kevin McCarthy on notice Will I also see that from you regarding Chuck Schumer? Will I hear from you, uh, Congresswoman, the, the, the idea that Chuck Schumer isn't doing X and Chuck Schumer isn't doing Y and Chuck Schumer isn't doing Z in the same way I hear it about Kevin McCarthy if indeed you get this back and there is nothing about the border in the continuing resolution? Well, you probably, Tony, not watching, uh, not watching them, but if you notice, I spend more time probably on CNN, MSNBC, NPR, and all of this media than spending on any conservative media. And I've been talking to, play, you know, to political and a lot of groups that are not pro-Republican because I want to make sure that voters that watching their channels understand that the Senate that they supported and voted for is going to other save this country or going to fail. So, and I told them, you know, don't try to agree them. He's like, oh, they don't want to do, I don't care what they want. We, you know, draw the line in the sand and then Senate is going to decide because if you're willing to make, pick that fight, because we need to pick some hills to die on and take them, you know, and then it's up to the Senate to explain, I am not going to be attacking you. My responsibility for you to force you to lead because I elected you. 
I have no ability to do that, but we have to win against them. So I said, like, I will come after the Senate, and I've been coming hard. And I went to the media and people that support them that their voters understand it. Because, unfortunately, we don't have any more collaboration and debate and deliberation. Everything becomes so polarized. So I told him I went to a lot of liberal media, and I will because I want them to know that, too. I only have uh, about 60 seconds, but I want to get to something a little personal. The idea that Speaker McCarthy called you a a quitter um, and you had responded on social media in a way that would make one think that maybe you were changing your mind. uh, Congresswoman, are you changing your mind about uh, not running again? Listen, I said, like, you know, this is a great one. It gets responsibility. And I always say, you know, don't make me really pissed off. Okay. You know, I didn't run because for this office, because I, I, you know, underestimate the magnitude and the difficulties we are. I just go so sick and tired of my worthless Republicans. I hate to tell you, not doing that. So I want my Republicans to be better. So I said, if you make him make me very mad, <laughs> your wishes might come true. I don't know if he wishes that or not. I Probably not. I'm sure that he said, like, well, you would stay with it. He says he wished I would stay. So I said, my, your wishes might come true. You know, but I will do whatever I can to deliver that. I will that was make not sure. an answer. We're going to have to get that another time and sooner rather than later. Congresswoman Victoria Sparts, always appreciate you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. As a matter of follow-up to my conversation with Congresswoman Victoria Sparts regarding this continuing resolution where she was she was strong. Um, the House did not get the spending bill, the Pentagon spending bill, uh, the, the funding, I should say, uh, to, to the floor. You had a couple of Republicans vote with the Democrats and say, yeah, this is not going going to happen. What was it, 216 to 212 voting uh, voting against this? Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Rosendale of Montana, Eli Crane of Arizona, Tom Cole of Oklahoma, Dan Bishop of North Carolina, Andy Biggs of Arizona. So the usual suspects and a couple of others, these are all Freedom Caucus people, they're saying, look, there's got to be uh, a, a number for overall uh, spending. And if you're the and this is Bishop talking, if you're the person who's failed 10 times, you've got to be the person to come forward with something constructive saying, here's how we're going to do it. And here's how you can count on it and rely on it, Uh, saying to Kevin McCarthy, uh, we're not doing this. You're going to have to change what it is you want. That's the way it is. You should have gotten a bigger majority in the House. Certainly, it's easier when you're the speaker and you get a bigger majority in the House. But more so is this conversation of what is it that we're going to accept and not? What are we going to accept? What are we not going to accept? The spending is the thing. Will we actually see changes? And what would you accept now to then get something better uh, down the road? It's very much a wimpy thing. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Well, Tuesday comes. When do we actually get a result? That's the question. And do you trust any of these people to do so? Now is the moment. So let's talk about now. That's what these guys are saying. McCarthy's going to have to make some changes here. 
McCarthy is going to have to make some changes. And I won't be surprised if a shutdown comes. But don't ever listen to what the Democrats say about this stuff. These people would vote lockstep, nay, goose step on nearly anything. I don't mind the, the messy. I'm more okay with messy than most. This is Tony Katz today. The United States has a new chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. His name, General C.Q. Brown, he led the Air Force and now will be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. But how did this come about? Why, after all these months, did Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, finally bring the vote to the floor? Well, you have to understand what it is Chuck Schumer was trying to do and what it is that Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama was doing. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. You had 300-plus military promotions that were being held up by Senator Tuberville. Tuberville said, we're not doing any of these because you believe that the DOD should allow for people to travel across state lines for an abortion on the taxpayer's dime. And the answer is no. It was a a Defense Department policy reimbursing travel costs for service members going across lines to seek an abortion. He said, no, we're we're not doing this. And Schumer said, oh, yes, we are. And Tuberville said, no, and I'm putting holds on these nominations, including chairman of the Joint Chiefs and and a couple other uh, big ones, may I add. The Marine Corps Commandant, the Army Chief of Staff. Nothing's moving forward. Schumer, at any time, could have moved forward on these as individual votes. But he wasn't going to do that. Oh, no, no, no. It had to be all or nothing. Trying to apply pressure to Tuberville to change his mind and release the hold. Tuberville wouldn't do it. Republicans came to him and said, dude, you got it. You got to stop this. And Tuberville said, no, I don't. He would not release the hold. So Chuck Schumer decided finally that he couldn't go on like this, that uh, the, the, the party couldn't go on like this, that the plan was to concede cave to the demands of Tuberville and go with individual votes. While the media may not share it like this, although I admit I did see CNN refer to it as caving. I saw that on, a, on, a, on, on their website. I don't know if they said anything like that on air. I mean, Schumer was out of his head angry. But it's funny, every time he talks, he just makes me feel ill. The way, the way he talks is just this, I, I, I don't know, it's, it's this condescending just ugliness that I, I, I never, ever, ever want to be around. Every time he speaks, I'm like, thank goodness I am not like him. Thank, thank goodness I have never spoken to anybody the way Chuck Schumer speaks to everyone. Everyone, it's, it's, it's madness. He caves. And then you get these individual votes on these specific people. The vote to confirm General Charles Q. Brown was 83 to 11. I mean, that's, that's overwhelming in its victory. That is an overwhelming victory 
for uh, General Brown, currently the chief of staff of the U.S. Air Force. And the guy has got a history well distinguished, and he has over 3,000 flying hours, 130 combat hours. He was the commander of Pacific Air Force's air component commander for the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, U.S. Air Force Weapons School, two fighter wings, and uh, U.S. Air Force uh, Central Command. This is what he has run in his, in his career, in his history. There's an issue with him. And one of the issues with him is the very concept of woke. We have talked about woke in the military, and I have made the argument without any hesitation that the military is not a body that should be concerned with social change. I'm not interested in the military being something responsive to the whims of pop culture or or American culture at all. The military has two jobs, kill the enemy and break things. Now, you say to me that I'm being very rudimentary on that, and and I mean to be. I, I say that purposefully because the military's job is not to coddle people who decide that they're born in the wrong body. I'm not arguing that there aren't people who feel that way. I'm saying it is a mental disorder as decided by the DSM-5, the Diagnostics Manual there used by the American Psychiatric Association, that it is a mental disorder when you feel you were born in the wrong body. We do not treat it like a mental disorder. We say that you have to affirm the mental disorder and you can think of no other time and no other mental disorder where we all of a sudden affirm it, affirm it, affirm it, affirm it, by saying, oh yeah, sure. Oh yeah, you're a woman because you're wearing that certain outfit. Rachel Levine can call himself Rachel Levine from now until the end of time. Rachel Levine is a man Rachel Levine will always be a man, and that's the end of the conversation. That is not a rude thing to say. Honesty is that. Rude is telling me that I have to pretend that he's a woman. I won't lie to myself. I don't think you should have to lie to yourself, and I sure as bloody heck am not calling him she because that would be a lie, and I'm not playing in that game. It is rude, it is despicable, it is about the destruction of culture, it is about power over another person, it is obscene to make that kind of request. I won't be a part of it. General Brown plays in a different space. I'm not talking about trans, I'm talking about diversity. This is a memorandum dated August of 2022 from the Department of the Air Force, signed by General Brown, Chief of Staff of the Air Force. Diversity and inclusion are essential part, are an essential part of our society and key to the success of any organization. Oh no. No, he, yes, he is. Oh no, he's not going to do this. Oh yes, he certainly did. As such, he writes, or they write, this is signed by four people. It is imperative that the composition of our military services better reflect our nation's highly talented, diverse, and eligible population. This memorandum updates Department of the Air Force applicant pool goals, broken down by race, ethnicity, and gender. Critically, it it also continues our progress toward achieving a force more representative of our nation, while leveraging that diversity to enhance the air and space force's ability to deter and, if necessary, deny our nation's competitors. If you say to me you want to get good people from all walks of life, 
and let them know that there are opportunities for them in the military, specifically the Air Force in this case, absolutely, and twice on Sunday. I wholeheartedly agree you should do that. If you say to me that our goal is to have this many of this and this many of that and this many of the other, you're making a horrific mistake. You're making a ridiculous, ridiculous mistake. You do not want people based on a color of skin or a sexual orientation in any direction. What you want are people who have the mind and are committed to defending the nation, who feel the call. And you want to train them well. You want to train them better than well. You want them to be the best trained. So it isn't about all the other things. It is about the mind and it is about the will. There is no other diversity conversation that could possibly take place. Everything else falls away. If you say to me, you want to ensure that every white person, every black person, every brown person, every Asian person, every Hispanic person, every this, every that, every other, knows that there are opportunities for them. Well, then, all right. I like that. Got no problem with that. If you want to bring people in based on certain quotas, you're nuts. I cannot imagine a society that says, you know, I'd be supportive of the military, but it's 92% black and therefore I'm not doing it. I'd be supportive of the military, but it's 87% white and I'm not in favor of that. That's a ridiculous thing to say. It's a ridiculous thing to think. Do you think people in the military view themselves in this way when the war is on? Or do they see the uniform next to them and say, I can trust that guy. I can trust that woman. That's what I'm hoping they say. I can trust. No, not guy, not woman. No, no, no. I'm hoping they say, I can trust the soldier next to me. I, ho- I know that they've got my six, as the expression would go. Diversity. What a silly thing. But it gets worse when you actually hear what it is that General Brown says. You can't let it just uh, be happenstance that brings in the diversity, whether it be race, gender, ethnic background, sexual orientation, social background. You really got to spend some time thinking about it because you may miss an opportunity if you don't really spend some time looking at the slate of candidates and then asking some hard questions. And that's an aspect of, uh, you know, me as a chief of staff, uh, when I sit down with Secretary Barrett, we just had a conversation about this yesterday as we're looking at uh, some key positions. You know, who are diverse candidates and are we making sure we are grooming them so they have the opportunity? You don't want diverse candidates. You want the best candidates. If the best candidates engage some diversity, that's fine. But if the best candidates aren't diverse, if all the best candidates are black, what are we doing? Saying, yeah, but we need to have some more of this, so sorry. And you say to me, Tony, he's just talking about making sure we have an, we, we reach out to everybody and we really take a look at who is best. I don't believe that's what he's saying. Because I don't believe that's the goal of DEI at all. Let's start with a, with a baseline. DEI is bigotry. It is. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is bigotry. I said it. I meant it. It always will be. We have been sharing the story about Ibram Kendi, the anti-racist guy, a bigot, in my view. 
And this anti-racism center, he has at Boston University, and he was given millions of dollars from people like Jack Dorsey, who had started uh, Twitter, and, and he owns the company Square, which, you, you know, you want to use that. I, 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 I would not. That I, just because I wouldn't support Jack Dorsey. Gave Ibram Kendi, a guy who pushed bigotry on the world, combined with Robin D'Angelo and the white fragility conversation, which is based on the idea that, hey, let's find ways for people not to argue with us, not to ask questions, not to make a statement, not to disagree. Let's just call all of those white people fragile. Let's attack a whole uh, a group of people based on the color of their skin. That's fine. That's what Robin D'Angelo did. That's what Ibram Kendi did. Of course, they were wrong. That's why it's bigotry, because bigotry is always wrong. Well, it turns out at this center he has at Boston University, well, he is not nice to employees. Well, he enriched himself and nobody else. Well, there's a lot of problems there with abuse. And as Christopher Rufo points out, Boston University is investigating Ibram Kendi's quote-unquote anti-racism center following allegations that he mismanaged grant funding, failed to deliver key projects, and unleashed employment violence on staff. Well, remember, according to Ibram Kendi, to notice that he didn't make a timeline, that, of course, is bigotry because the whole concept of being on time is a bigoted concept. They, that's part of the, the, the DEI mantra. You hear this all over the place. Anti-racism is racism and DEI is bigotry. We have the principal in Canada who killed himself for asking a question, he asked a question in a meeting and was so mocked by the DE, the person leading the DEI training, she laughed at him and, and engaged the struggle session. He felt so horrific that he had no turn where to turn. He actually killed himself. It's horrible. It's a horrific story. DEI is bigotry. And I have not seen an example of where anybody who follows these kinds of practices doesn't lead themselves down a bigoted path. They all lead themselves down a bigoted path. Do I question whether or not General Brown has served his country? No, I don't. Do I question this conversation regarding diversity? You bet I do. Am I concerned about military, military readiness, military preparedness, and the future of the U.S. military? Damn straight. And when we talk about draining the swamp, the DOD is part of it. The State Department is part of it. FBI, DOJ, I should say, is part of it. The IRS is certainly part of it. Then again, I would get rid of the IRS, but what can I say? I'm special like that. A purist, if you will. You better believe I'm concerned. And you should be concerned too. Because the military should not be a place of DEI. The military should be a place of this is the job in front of us, get it done. The military should be a place of incredible training. And when people get out of the military, their skills are second to none. And you can't wait to hire them for your business. And you ain't looking at anything else other than those skills. Oh, you'll notice if they're white or if they're black or if they're fat or if they're thin or if they're a man or if they're a woman, etc. You'll notice because you're not blind to these things. You see people. You see people for what they are. You're going to hire to the skill. The military needs to bring people in based on the skill, based on the aptitude, based on the ability. And people like that with the skill, with the ability, and with the will, the desire to represent their country and protect their country against all enemies, they come in all shapes and sizes and they come in all colors. And we should aggressively want them and aggressively welcome them 
and aggressively cheer for them and their success. But the military should never, ever be a place where we're worried about uh, uh, social justice this or, or, or that. It should be a place of doing its job and it should be immune to the whims of the secular society. That the military is governed, if you will, by civilians and answerable to civilians. Good. Important. The military itself must run strong. Recognizing its job and not worrying about, well, do we have enough of this group or that group? You don't go to war with the army you wish you had. You go to war with the army you have. And the army that you want to go to war with is the one that wants to protect and defend its nation. That's the litmus test. Everything else is pablum. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Never forget that the border is the top story in America. I can't say this enough. And what we're seeing over the last couple of weeks is just downright frightening. Border Patrol is absolutely overwhelmed. And it's not their fault. Thousands and thousands of contacts with people coming across illegally and through ports of entry every single day. There is no keeping up. And then you add to it the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, redesignating Venezuela for temporary protected status. This means that over 470,000 foreign nationals from Venezuela in the United States, in the country on or before July 31st, they can't be deported. They can get work permits. They're here. Now, I don't mind people coming from other countries. I mind them coming illegally. That's the rational point of view. The border is the top story in America. And I'll have more to say about it tomorrow, everyone. Take care.